0: Welcome to the Global Research News Hour in the summer. The Global Research News Hour is a special radio collaboration funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with campus community radio station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg on occupied Anishinaabegaki, on the homeland of the Metis and the historical territories of the Nahiowak and the Nakota. My name is Michael Welch. What follows is a special presentation by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. The country's diplomatic, aid, intelligence, and military policies are very much at odds with what the citizenry believe it to be. The role of the Institute is to try to bridge the gap between government policy and public perception. Over the last several months, CFPI has been featuring public talks online on different subjects, with myth and the reality of Canada's true face to the world are distinct. In the month of May of this year, violence broke out once again in Israel-Palestine. Protests in East Jerusalem over the anticipated decision by the Supreme Court of Israel to evict six Palestinian families in Sheikh Jarrah. Soon, rocket attacks were fired at Israel, and Israeli airstrikes targeted the Gaza Strip. At least 256 Palestinians were killed, including 66 children. 13 Israelis, including two children, were killed. On the heels of a ceasefire signed on the 21st of May, the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute arranged to hold a panel discussion on the innumerable ways Canada supports Israeli apartheid and what we can do about it. It is intended to inform listeners in Canada about how Canada is complicit in Palestinian dispossession and what can be done about it. The speakers in this event were Eve Angler, author of Canada in Israel Building Apartheid, talking about the ways in which Canada is complicit in Palestinian dispossession, Jonathan Katab, co-founder of Palestinian Human Rights Group Al-Haq and of Nonviolence International speaking about the current situation and the nature of Israeli apartheid, and Karen Rodman, founder of Just Peace Advocates, speaking about campaigns challenging Canadian complicity with Israeli violence. Bianca Mujeni is the moderator. She is an activist and journalist and the director of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute, whose site is foreignpolicy.ca. Here is Bianca Mujeni. And her panelists hosted today on the Global Research News Hour.
1: So, uh, our work, what we're working towards, is a progressive foreign policy. And the internationalism that we all need to embrace so urgently must include meaningful international solidarity. This includes support for anti racist and anti colonial uh, movements globally. And this week is a pretty significant week for us. It marks a year since the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute was launched with, uh, with an op-ed in the Toronto Star, the public letter opposing Canada's bid for seat on the United Nations Security Council, and we worked with our co-sponsors of today's event, uh, Just Peace Advocates, on the No to UNSC campaign, which included sending over 2,000 individual emails to all UN Ambassadors, critical of Canada's anti-Palestinian record. And in a sign of its effectiveness, it forced Canada's permanent representative to the UN to send a letter to all other UN ambassadors actually defending Canadian policy on Palestinian rights. Among um, the elements of Canada's anti-Palestinian record that we highlighted, um, where we highlighted the current liberal government's uh, voting record at the UN, our current liberal government have voted against more than 50 UN resolutions upholding Palestinian rights. Um, and. These are resolutions that are supported by almost every other nation on earth. We also highlighted how our foreign minister, Christian Freeland at that time, asserted that Canada would quote, act as an asset for Israel if it gained a seat on the United Nations Security Council. And you know, many progressives considered our position against Canada's bid for UNSC seat controversial, but time has really borne it out. And in recent days, Norway and Ireland, Canada's two competitors for a seat, Uh, on on the council have sought to stop Israeli violence through the council. Unfortunately blocked by Washington, they put out a statement with other security council members, France and Estonia condemning recent Israeli airstrikes and calling on Israel to cease settlement activities, demolitions and evictions. It's highly unlikely that the Trudeau government would have have pursued a similar tack if it had won a security council seat. So internationalism, internationalism means that we cannot ignore the biggest injustices taking place on the planet, and a major way that we living in Canada can contribute to the Palestinian struggle is to challenge our own government, to challenge them to apply their laws on foreign enlistment, their own laws on charities, challenge them to vote with the rest of the world on UN resolutions upholding Palestinian rights, uh, as well as many more actions that uh, our esteemed panelists will be underlining in today's talk. So our next speaker is Eve Engler. Eve is an author and activist based in Montreal. He's the author of nine books on Canadian foreign policy, including The Black Book of Canadian Foreign Policy uh, and Canada and Israel Building Apartheid. His latest book is called House of Mirrors, Justin Trudeau's Foreign Policy. He was also a fellow and board member of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. Welcome, Eve.
2: I want to, I want to acknowledge that I'm uh, speaking to you from traditional indigenous territory of uh, Joe uh which is a place that has long been a point of meeting and exchange among First Nations. Um, what I want to talk about is, uh, is the second most anti Palestinian country in the world, which is Canada. Uh, and it is a something that the Trudeau government, most of my talk is going to be about the Trudeau government, uh, they have really continued what and deepen uh, deepened in some areas what the harper government had pursued of this extremist anti-palestinian uh, pro-israel policy and and i think it's important to point out right like in recent weeks there's been all kinds of repression in colombia right-wing government in colombia that the canadian government backs through a free trade agreement through its diplomatic comments through arms sales, uh, and it's been rightfully protest against Canada's position uh, with what's going on in Colombia in recent days, but the relationship to Israel is not the sort of what I would call the typical support for a, a right wing, uh, you know, pro US uh, government in Latin America or elsewhere, it is unique, it is very unique and there's many examples of just a uniquely uh, uh, pro-Israel, anti-Palestinian uh, position. Just before the, the, the recent uh, flare up of attention on uh, Israeli dispossession of Palestinians, the Canadian government pulled out of the uh, World Conference Against Racism. This is Justin Trudeau government that says it's a anti-racist government. It pulled out of the World Conference Against Racism because the previous Conference Against Racism had equated Zionism Uh, with racism. Uh, You have the uh, Trudeau government sending a letter to the International Criminal Court telling them not to investigate Israeli war crimes last year and kind of implying that they may cut off funding to the International Criminal Court if they are to investigate Israeli war crimes. (coughs) Excuse me. You have the uh, Trudeau government appointing a special envoy to uh, back in November, largely designed to uh, uh, block criticism of Israeli apartheid. That envoy, Erwin Kotler, five days ago, spoke was a keynote speaker at basically a pro-war rally, a rally organized by uh, an online rally by uh, uh, a Montreal uh, Jewish organization, basically applauding what Israel was doing in Gaza. He spoke from his apartment in Jerusalem. Uh, this is Canada's special envoy. Um, you have two years ago the Trudeau government adopted uh, a definition of, 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 of a form of xenophobia, largely designed to stop criticism of Israel's ongoing dispossession of Palestinians. Uh, you have uh, Trudeau himself repeatedly, repeatedly criticizing internationalist-minded pro-Palestinian students. So activity happening on the university campus and the Prime Minister of Canada condemning those who are on the right side of history. Um, you have uh, uh, the Trudeau government spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of taxpayer money on lawyers to block the proper labeling of a couple wines coming from illegal settlements because they don't want can- Canadian consumers to know where those wines are actually coming from. And they're spending our tax dollars to block Canadian consumers from even being able to know where those wines are being produced. Uh, You have the Trudeau government expanding the Canada-Israel Free Trade Agreement, modernizing, as they put it. Well, the Canada-Israel Free Trade Agreement includes, uh, applies Israeli customs laws to products produced in illegal settlements in the West Bank, which even the Canadian government officially, officially, ostensibly, believes contravene uh, uh, international law. You have the Trudeau government adding to the criminalization of Palestinian political life, adding another Palestinian organization to Canada's terrorist list, which essentially makes all of Palestine, most of Palestinian political life, illegal or criminal. Um, the only, the first group, Canadian-based group, to ever be a point, to ever be listed. Was a, uh, a Toronto-based, a Mississauga-based group, Irfan uh, International Re- Relief Fund for the Afflicted and Needy, and they were listed as a Canadian terrorist organization because they were supporting orphans in Gaza, uh, and they were channeling that money through the post office, which was under Hamas control, because Hamas runs uh, Gaza, and they and they tried to get a dialysis machine into Gaza. And the hospital that that was being sent to was under the health ministry, which is again under Hamas control. And they got listed as a chair, as a terrorist organization in this country uh, for having tried to support orphans in a hospital in Gaza. And the Trudeau government, that, was, that began under the Harper government, the Trudeau government has continued, maintained orphan uh, as a listed uh, uh, terrorist organization. In one of the most unbelievable acts of, uh, of, Exceeding deference to Israeli uh, violence, on June six or January sixteenth of last year, Canada's ambassador in Israel organized a pizza party for Canadians fighting in the IDF, for fi- Canadians fighting in the Israeli military, for Canadians overseeing checkpoints in the West Bank, uh, sniper fire into Gaza. Uh, probably in recent days, uh, uh, you know, making decisions on bombings in Gaza. A pizza party for Canadians fighting in another country's military at the Canadian Embassy in Tel Aviv. You have the Trudeau government allowing the enlistment of Canadians into the Israeli military, which contravenes the Foreign Enlistment Act, which is very clear. It's not legal to recruit or induce others to join another country's military. I know Karen's going to get into this in more detail, but the Trudeau government has ignored the campaign that's brought this issue to light uh, and just tried to pass it off. Um, You have uh, the most important uh, form of Canadian support uh, for Palestinian dispossession for Israel uh, today and historically in recent decades is the registered charities uh, more than a quarter billion dollars was raised in 2018 and a similar number each year since and before uh, uh by registered canadian charities for projects in israel and now a registered charity can provide a tax receipt so depending on your tax bracket depending on the size of donation all kind number of different criteria usually about 30 to 40 percent of a donation uh, would be covered by the Canadian taxpayer by someone being able to pay less in tax to, to the Canadian government for, for, their, for their donation to uh, charity in, in, in Israel, a charity-focused uh, projects in Israel. I recently went through the list of all the different charities, uh, and it's really, it's fascinating. Uh, you have groups like the uh, uh, Canadian Friends of Israel Guide Dog Centre for, for the Blind. Uh, you have... Uh, Canadian Society for the Protection of Nature in Israel, Canadian Friends of the Israel uh, Philharmonic Orchestra, Uh, Canadian Friends of almost every university, every hospital, on and on and on, dozens, probably into the hundreds of different organizations that are registered charities in this country that are supporting projects uh, uh, in Israel. In in uh, 90, 1991, the Ottawa citizens suggested there was more than 100 million dollars raised for charities in Israel by Canadian groups, somewhere between 100 and 200 million. Like I said, the most recent number said a minimum of a quarter billion dollars. If you assume 100 million dollars has been raised by registered Canadian charities for projects in Israel since 1967, when Canada brought in its um, its modern charitable uh, rules around uh, donations, uh, providing tax receipts to donations. That's about $5.4 billion that's been raised for Israel by Canadian groups. And the Canadian taxpayer would have paid about $1.7 billion in lost, uh, lost tax revenue. Uh, I think that the if you believe in boycott investment sanctions, obviously Canada should not be giving charitable status to groups that are supporting Israel. In fact, Canada should be moving to making all of the, those donations to Israel illegal. That would be real sanctions. Um, but we don't have to even get close to that before we can challenge a whole lot of the charitable donations going, going from Canada to Israel. Um, because in Canada, it's illegal. It's contrary to Canada Revenue Agency guidelines on charities to support groups that support another country's military. That's very explicit. It's also contrary to Canada Revenue Agency guidelines to support uh, projects in the West Bank that are supporting settlements that ostensibly contravene Canadian uh, uh, policy, and it's also this is a bit more gray area, it, but should be the case um, to support explicitly racist organizations. Well, there's a whole bunch of the charities that are registered Canadian charities supporting projects in Israel that are supporting the Israeli military. So you have groups like uh, the Jewish National Fund of Canada has been shown to be supporting IDF projects. Uh, the the uh, Canadian Megan David Adam for Israel uh, has, uh, has been supporting IDF. Uh, the Bet Alochem Canada Aid to Disabled Veterans of Israel. Also the Hessex Foundation, which is a Toronto-based uh, registered charity that provided more than 9 million dollars, 9.2 million dollars in 2018, the last statistics I've seen. Um, the Hessek Foundation was set up to quote, recognize and honor the contribution of lone soldiers to Israel. That's non-Israelis that join the Israeli mili- military. Um, that seems pretty clearly a form of support to, to the Israeli military, but they're openly a registered charity. Uh, Likewise, there's a number of organizations, registered charities, that support settlement projects. You have the Jewish National Fund of Canada. It's been involved in all kinds of projects that contravene, that are, you know, expanding settlements. Recent days, there's been but a bunch of controversy over that. Uh, go back historically, Canada Park, that tens and tens of millions of dollars that JNF Canada raised was on the remnants of three Palestinian vill- villages conquered in the 1967 war. Uh, you have uh, groups like Christian Friends of Israeli Communities that says openly that it, that it provides uh, financial support to the Jews currently living in Biblical Israel, the communities of Judea and Samaria. Um, so again, there's a whole bunch of these charities almost certainly into the millions of dollars going into projects in one way or another, indirectly or directly, support uh, settlements in the, in the West Bank. Similarly, with racist organizations, uh, the Jewish National Fund of Canada is an explicitly racist organization. Until very recently, it was in its Twitter tag. It, it, it gets land, uh, holds land for Jews, excludes non-Jews from land. This is, this is a form of racism that we criminalized in this country seven, 70 years ago. There's a famous Supreme Court decision that, that outlawed racist uh, property deeds, land deeds. Uh, in Canada, and yet here you have the Canada, uh, the Jewish National Fund practicing this type of policy in Israel today as a registered uh, uh, Canadian charity. So, so there, there's, and I, I'm sure if you go into the different charities in a real investigation into all these charities supporting projects in Israel, you'll find that a number of them, the other ones are engaged in explicit uh, uh, racism, and almost all of them are engaged in in implicit racism, because almost all this quarter billion dollars in 2018 that was raised for, for uh, projects in Israel, almost none of that goes to people who are the poorest people like because ostensibly this is about charity, right? So I think poor people, right? Well, almost none of that money goes to the poorest people under Israeli control. Obviously, basically none of it goes to people in Gaza, the poorest, and basically none of it goes to Palestinians in the West Bank. And even within Israel proper, the, the, about, ha- about the half of the poorest people within Israel are Palestinian citizens of Israel. And I guarantee you that very little of this money being raised in Canada for charities in Israel are going to Palestinian communities within Israel uh, 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 proper. So the whole enterprise of, of, of uh, charity donations is, that Canada is involved in, that we're subsidizing is itself a racist uh, 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 enterprise. But you don't even have to go into all of that. Just, just at the direct level, again, it's contrary to Canada Revenue Agency guidelines to support another country's military explicitly. It's contrary to be supporting projects in the West Bank that, that contravene Canada's policy, that contravene international law. And according to uh, Canada Revenue Agency guidelines going back to 2003, uh, they promote, ra- promote anti racism, they don't promote racism, so it should be contrary to Canada Revenue Agency guidelines to support uh, uh, racist uh, uh, organizations. And yet, um, uh, this is, I-, I guarantee you, millions, almost certainly tens of millions of dollars today of Canadian uh, 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 charity money is going to projects that contravene Canada Reven- Revenue Agency guidelines that are currently on the book, let alone bringing into question this whole thing. Why? Why would Canadians be subsidizing donations to a country that has a GDP uh, basically equivalent to Canada's? Are we we subsidizing donations to hospitals in Sweden and Japan? Of course not, right? Is Israel subsidizing donations to Canadian hospitals and Canadian uh, guide dog uh, societies? Of course not. So why is Canada doing that for Israel, and this is almost not discussed at all by the pro-Palestinian movement, but from my assessment of things, this is Canada's most significant contribution. This goes back decades and decades, a contribution to uh, Israel's ongoing uh, uh, dispossession of Palestinians and strengthening Israel at the expense of of Palestinians. Um, Now, just quickly, I do want to go back historically, and I wanna make it really clear that Trudeau's policy has been decidedly anti-Palestinian, Harper's policy was decidedly anti-Palestinian, we've been moving in the wrong direction in the last 15 years, Um, but it didn't begin there, right? It's ebbed and flowed. We can get into that in the question period if people want. It's ebbed and flowed to a certain extent, but the most significant Canadian contribution to Palestinian dispossession uh, took place in 1947. Canada played a central role with the uh, United Nations uh, discussions about the British mandate, when Britain brought the mandate of Palestine to the international, the newly created international body, Canada played a a central role in shaping the partition plan uh, uh, and in shaping the United Nations uh, Special Committee on Palestine that was uh, sent to the region to determine uh, Palestine's fate. So uh, Lester Pearson, Canadian who later becomes Canadian Prime Minister came, and later becomes Canadian Foreign Minister, played a, played a, a, um, a led the, uh, the first Committee on, uh, on Palestine, um, uh, which, which d- d- defined the uh, parameters of the United Nations Special Committee on Palestine that would be sent to, uh, to the region to, to come up with a proposal to what to do with the British uh, uh, mandate. And uh, and Pearson was was, a, was open openly pro Zionist from a few years before, and he did everything he could to facilitate uh, a pro Zionist uh, uh, United Nations special committee in Palestine, which Palestinians would would uh, would uh, would would boycott uh, at least initially because. They, what, why, were, why were representatives from Canada, Guatemala, Yugoslavia going to determine their fate? They didn't, they didn't see any reason why it was up to the, U, the UN to, to come up with, you know, to, to decide on their land. Um, and uh, it was a Canadian, um, Ivan C. Rand, Supreme Court Justice, who was part of the United Nations Special Committee on Palestine that went to the region to come up with a proposal. He's considered the lead architect of the partition plan. And, uh, and at one point in in the part when he was drafting the majority report in favor of the partition plan, he actually suggested giving more of Palestine to the Zionist movement than even the Zionist movement was asking for. Um, And ultimately, the partition plan uh, gave uh, Zionist movement about uh, 55% historic Palestine, despite uh, the Jewish population being about a third and uh, owning less than 7% of the land. So from a Palestinian perspective, this was incredibly unjust. When the United Nations Special Committee on Palestine uh, came back with their majority and minority report, uh, Lester Pearson again at the ad hoc committee, uh, Special Committee One, uh, Lester Pearson played an important role in the negotiations to basically get the British, or sorry, the the Americans and the uh, Moscow and Washington to agree on the uh, on the partition plan and to, to, to support it. Pearson could care could have cared less about. The perspective of the indigenous Palestinian population, uh, he just cared about getting an agreement between uh, Washington a- a- and and Moscow, and it was reported on the front page of the New York Times. Pearson was referred to as a uh, uh, Lord Balfour of Canada for his role in, in, in pushing uh, pushing Zionism, and and what the the uh, the partition plan which Canada backed and um, the the. Um, the uh, only uh, uh, Middle Eastern affairs expert at external affairs at the time, Elizabeth McCallum, she said that we supported the partition plan because quote we didn't, we didn't give two hoots for democracy and at the time she uh, uh, she sent a note uh, when uh, during the negotiation, she sent a note according to the book The Rise and Fall of a Middle Power, McCallum scribbled a note and passed it to, to Lester Pearson, saying the Middle East was now in for forty years of war due to the lack of consultation with the Arab countries. Of course, as we've seen in recent days, it's not 40 years, it's even longer, but McCallum was clearly uh, 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 much more uh, uh, force, farsighted than, uh, than, than, than other uh, officials. And basically what the partition plan did is it gave the Zionist movement diplomatic legitimacy to ethnically cleanse Palestine, to drive out 700,000 plus Palestinians. Um, and it sort of legitimated that, that, that project, um, and there were Canadians that fought a minimum of three hundred, according to the lead uh, recruiter in, in Toronto uh, 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 Ben Dunkelman, uh, he claims that he recruited as many as a thousand people, can, uh, Canadians, World War II veterans, so generally highly skilled uh, military people, to go fight. Uh, uh, on, on behalf of the Zionist movement, and they participated in the the ethnic cleansing of uh, uh, of Palestine. And so Canada's role at the UN in 1947 is the most important Canadian contribution to Palestinian dispossession. Like I said, that has ebbed and flowed uh, over the years. But as we see today, we have a government, uh, Justin Trudeau, that continues to pursue a whole series of different measures, even if Justin Trudeau. Uh, 10 days ago would have come out and said uh, Israel's ethnic cleansing in, in, in uh, East Jerusalem is wrong. Uh, uh, its uh, attacks on al Alaska Mosque are wrong. Its bombing of Gaza are wrong. Even if it was a strong language Canada would still have been uh, directly uh, enabling and complicit in his, Israel's uh, 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 human rights violations. And he didn't even make those statements. So we have a government and it's up, it's up to us to change that and to mobilize political power to choose uh, important uh, 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 points of pressure within Canada uh, that we can, we can uh, take that outrage, the outrage we've seen online and on the streets in recent, in recent days and direct it at uh, challenging Canada's complicity in uh, Palestinian dispossession. Uh, I'll leave it at that and pass it over. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Eve, for that, uh, that broad overview true to the title of this event. It's very difficult to fit all of that information into just a few minutes. Um, but if you'd like to find out more about uh, Trudeau, the Trudeau government's uh, complicity in Palestinian dispossession, both historical and current day, um, definitely uh, check out Eve's writing at evanglo.com. Um so thank you for that and also for reminding us to just to use the power that we actually do have. So we'll uh, we'll see you again in the Q&A.
0: You're listening to the innumerable ways Canada supports Israeli apartheid and what we can do about it. A panel discussion which took place May 22, 2021, conducted by the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. This program is a feature on the Global Research News Hour, a show funded by the Center for Research on Globalization and produced in collaboration with Campus Community Radio Station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. The show is also broadcast on other Canadian radio stations across Canada and the United States, and available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. My name is Michael Welch. Here again is more of this conversation.
1: Jonathan is the co-founder of Palestinian human rights group al-haq and uh, co-founder of Nonviolence international he's the author of the recently released book beyond the two-state solution an international human rights lawyer um, he serves on the board of Bethlehem Bible College and is president of the Holy Land Trust Jonathan was head of the legal committee negotiating the Cairo agreement of the 1994 um, of the 1990 uh, in 1994 between Israel and the PLO and after graduating from Virginia Law School and practicing on Wall Street for, for a bit Jonathan returned home to Palestine he's a visiting scholar at Osgoode Law School at uh, York University in Toronto in the fall of 2017 and is a founding director of Justice Advocates he's uh he's resident of uh East Jerusalem where he's a partner at Hittab, Khoury and Hannah Law Firm um and has just written An excellent book and we'll be putting the link uh, to that and to his work in the chat. I get a copy of Jonathan's recent book, Beyond the Two-State Solution, if you can. It is excellent. Welcome, Jonathan.
3: I wanted to bring everybody uh, up to date as to what is happening now in Palestine and what is the importance of what's happened in the last uh, two weeks. Uh, Because I really think, at least judging from where I am currently in the United States, uh, I think we may be close to a tipping point, at least where the entire conversation around Israel-Palestine is moving. Uh, And and let me explain uh, a little bit more. Uh, Until these two weeks, most people who thought or talked or worked on the Israel-Palestine question, you know, we're caught up in the issue of two states. And we're caught up in what's happening in the West Bank, in Gaza, and maybe also East Jerusalem. Uh, caught up in the idea of settlements being an obstacle to creating a Palestinian state in a small part of Palestine, 22%. What we saw during these last two weeks was that the reality is different. The reality is that the Palestinian question is not limited to the West Bank and Gaza. The reality is that in our confrontation with the Zionist movement, Israel has succeeded in bifurcating and fragmenting the Palestinian people to five different groups and in having a separate policy for each group. First, there were those who are uh, Palestinians or Israeli citizens. There's about two million of them. They have the right to vote in Israel, but they really have zero political power because they are told this is a Jewish state. Yeah, you have the right to vote, but your representatives in the Knesset have no authority over anything Uh, because this is a Jewish state and only Jews have the right to self-determination in this state and any action or law or regulation or practice or policy that favors Jews over non-Jews is the most natural thing because this is intended to be a Jewish state. So basically by its very nature, it is an apartheid regime but like other apartheid regimes it doesn't it's not only a two tier regime with one tier for jews and a second tier for non jews here they have succeeded in dividing the palestinian people into five separate categories i mentioned the first one are the israeli citizens uh, palestinians or israeli citizens the second group are those in East Jerusalem, about 300,000 of them. They are not even citizens. They are residents, but not citizens. And they have a, a strange status, clearly not at the status of Jews, because Jerusalem was supposed to be unified and only for Jews when everybody knows Jerusalem is important for Palestinians as well, for Muslims and Christians. And we saw this during this week. A third group are those in the West Bank. And many people thought that that's all that Palestinians are the people of the West Bank, which is 22% of Palestine, and it's being continuously taken up by Jewish settlements, and it's bifurcated into areas A, B, and C. Uh, And Mahmoud Abbas, who is supposed to be in charge of the Palestinians in the West Bank, really has to act according to what Israel wants him to act, otherwise he can do nothing. Then there are the people of Gaza, two million of them basically in an open air prison. And Israel is perfectly fine to treat all Gaza as if it was this illegal entity called Hamas. Even though Hamas is just a political party and most people in Gaza have never voted for anybody much less voted for Hamas. Yeah, but in, in Israeli propaganda terms, Hamas is the way that you demonize all of Gaza and, and justify everything that you are doing in Gaza. If you can show that one office in this building uh, has a Hamas member in it, we can knock down the whole building because there is Hamas there. So and th- that's the fourth group. And the fifth group are the Palestinian refugees, those who are in the diaspora. Two thirds of the Palestinian people cannot even go to Palestine, to their homes, to their homeland. They can't even go to visit, much less to live there. They may be able to enter if they have a Canadian passport or they may be not, they may be turned back. So my point is, these events the last two weeks have shown that the Palestinian people are one people and they are united and they are united in fighting a system which is an apartheid system that grants rights to Jews that it denies to non-Jews. That is the bottom line that needs to be understood and the And this is a Zionist phenomena, by the way, because Many of the people who can see this best are our Jewish friends who recognize that this is an unfair and an unequal and an apartheid system. The second thing that was shown uh, uh, during these last two weeks is that with respect to Gaza, the situation is so terrible that even the ending of the bombardment does not really solve the problem. These people are living in an open air prison and the Israelis were pummeling them right and left mercilessly, like like fish in a barrel. Uh, One of the things that really got me was when one missile fell on a house and it didn't explode. And the neighbors got a call Sorry, there was a technical error, but we will be returning tonight to correct it and destroy that house because the Palestinians have no defense. They don't have an iron dome. They don't have uh, places to go and hide when when the bombs start falling and the air raid sirens go off. Where do you go? You don't have an air raid shelter. And not only that, you have nowhere to physically go somewhere else to take your children away or to take yourself to a safe place because there is no safe place. The entire Gaza Strip is about 170 square kilometers. Uh, When you think about that, two million people who are there, obviously every one of them is within striking distance of somebody who is an Israeli target and they have no defense. And nowhere to go so i think we really need to recognize that it's a good thing that the ceasefire took place and that there is no more aerial bombardment but what we really need now is to lift the siege of gaza to allow people in gaza to move in and out to bring goods in and out how can you repair the the houses destroyed, all the houses that were destroyed, if you can't allow building materials in without Israeli permission and without Israeli permits, if you can't grow your food and export it, if you can't go out to sea and fish, if you can't have fuel for your generators for your electricity, if you can't have clean water and sewage, if you can't have your hospitals working, Without Israel controlling everything that's happened, we must lift the siege of Gaza. And and finally, we must also bring Hamas into the equation. Hamas is a political party. I don't like it. I wouldn't vote for Hamas, but they are a political party and they serve a political function. And if you want to make peace and if you want to do anything in Gaza, you must deal with Hamas. And right now, they have almost more credibility than other people like President Abbas in Ramallah, I am sorry to say. They have more credibility than Mahmoud Abbas in Ramallah. So we must bring Hamas into the equation. There's the things that they need to do. There's conditions that need to be met. But Hamas must be part of any kind of arrangement or peace talk if peace is
1: you're and, on and,
3: and finally, and with this, I, I, I will end my 10 minutes. We need to think of ways to act if the government doesn't act. If the government of Canada continues on its policy, which is clearly against decency and against international law and in favor of apartheid and in favor of oppression, what can ordinary people do? This is where BDS becomes important. Boycotts, divestment, and calling for sanctions to punish those who violate international law, those who practice apartheid, those who refuse to accept equality, those who, while claiming to be defending themselves, are really oppressing and attacking everybody else.
1: Our next speaker is Karen Rodman. Um, who uh, is a human rights advocate and founder of Just Peace Advocates and Palestine Just Trade. Uh, Karen was ordained as a United Church of Canada minister in 2015 and has served as a human rights volunteer observer in Palestine for the World Council of Churches. Karen is retired from a three-year decade uh, in senior management leadership in the Ontario Public Service and Karen is uh, an incredible activist. Welcome Karen.
4: Thanks so much Bianca and uh, what an honor to be here. Um, I'm pleased to share a little bit more about some of the practical things that people are doing and can uh, do in regard to uh, ongoing campaigns and I'm going to start by talking about the uh, illegal Israeli military recruiting in, uh, in Canada. Um, Under the Foreign Enlistment Act, it is a crime in Canada to recruit anyone for a foreign military and uh, Yves talked a little bit about this. It's also a crime to aid and abet such recruitment Um, and there's indication that at any point uh, there are about 200 Canadians serving in the Israeli military. Um, based on historic information. The only exception would be if the recruitment was of an Israeli citizen who's required to do mandatory service and that would be someone who is not a Canadian citizen. The campaign to stop illegal Israeli military recruiting was launched on uh, October 19th, 2020 um, by both the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute and Just Peace Advocates, along with the Montreal-based organization, Palestinian and Jewish Unity. Um, it was launched with a formal legal complaint uh, with a call to Minister uh, Lametti, Justice Minister Lemeti, to undertake um, an investigation and lay charges uh, as warranted. Le Devoir ran an article that day. And the following day, uh, the journalist from Le, Le Devoir, who had ran the article, asked a question at the press conference of Minister Lametti about the actual complaint, along with evidence and a letter that had been signed by more than 170 Canadians, including uh, several prominent individuals from Canada and beyond. lametti indicated at that press conference that he would refer the case to the RCMP. And marie Vastel at Le Devoir ran this news on the front page of Le Devoir on uh, on October 20th. I must say that the uh, Francophone media has been much more kind to uh, our advocacy work than uh, the English media, although some things have been changing over the last few days as I'll come to uh, in a few moments. Um, In early November, the RCMP indicated they did open the investigation and the original evidence that uh, had been provided by our our organizations to Minister Lamedi um, were uh, provided to the RCMP. We provided additional information um, uh, early in 2021. All this information is on the Just Peace Advocates website as well. The RCMP have not followed up other than to just provide indication that the investigation was opened, however subsequently people have really engaged in the campaign with more than 2500 letters going to Minister Lametti and other elected officials and about 1000 letters going to the RCMP. We did hold a webinar by our organizations in early February, World Beyond War joined us with that, but over 50 organizations uh, from across Canada, but also some international came on board to fully endorse the campaign. Um, We'll be providing the link for that webinar in the chat in case you didn't have a chance to hear it or want to listen to it again. But uh, maybe more importantly uh, is that recently NDP member of Parliament Matthew Green from Hamilton Center, in fact this was just following the um, NDP convention where a resolution was passed uh, in support um, of uh, Palestinian uh, activism or Palestinian action, I should say, related to um, military embargo and uh, settlement goods. Just following that, anyway, Matthew Green sponsored a parliamentary petition that is calling on Minister Lametti to undertake a thorough investigation and lay charges were warranted. Um, we just uh, checked the, uh, the petition before we came on, I think it's over 6,600 Canadians have signed the petition. It is just growing by about 100 every time we look at it. I encourage you, if you have not already done so, to sign it and uh, to share it within your networks. Let's make this the Palestinian uh, resolution uh, motion that actually, or not motion, parliamentary petition, I should say, that actually gets to the 10,000 signatures. So again, that link has been in the chat and I think it'll be put back in again. Um, also, as Eve mentioned, there was a recent letter from our organizations to the minister. Well, I gets even more mentioned that uh, there was uh, indication around uh, the charities and using charity uh, funding uh, towards military, uh, uh, re- uh, military in uh, Israel along with uh, the Foreign Enlistments Act that I've just been talking about. And so we do have a letter that is going to the Minister of Justice, Global Affairs and Finance that's calling on Canada to follow its own laws. And there's been about 2,600 letters that have been sent in the last few days. Um, in that regard. So again, that's something, in fact, you don't have to be in Canada to participate in that. Anyone can can send letters uh, as they wish. So I do want to spend just a couple of minutes and uh, talk about the groundswell of reaction that both Jonathan and Eve have spoken to in response to Israel's blatant violence, and in particular, Canada's complicity. Um, A Twitter storm was held by Canadian organizations, it'll be two weeks I guess tomorrow, it was the day after Al-Quds Day and the attack on Al-Aqsa Mosque, Um, and that saw over 1 million impressions in the hour that we were on Twitter. A letter was provided at that time by Just Peace Advocates for people to send to the Canadian government, and within a couple of days we had over 14,000 letters that had been sent. Over the next few days, a letter from the National Council of Canadian Muslims resulted in over 100,000 signatures and as far as I know that's the first time that uh, NCCM, the National Council of Canadian Muslims, has engaged directly in the issue of Palestine in, in this way. Other organizations, including Palestinian organizations, uh, CJPME, Independent Jewish Voices and uh, Justice for All, followed a suit with a letter writing to the Canadian government around holding Israel accountable through things such as call for sanctions and emergency debate at parliament and so on. Within a few days, and I count it sort of a few days into that week, Canadian elected officials had seen more than 150,000 direct Calls into their email inboxes and uh, by then there were phone banks happening with uh, phone calls. I'm sure it would be fair to say that at least a quarter million letters and phone calls um, have been made to uh, to Canadian parliamentarians over this last 10 days as the momentum has continued to grow. On the streets, actions that were already in the planning for NAPCA Day became huge events with estimated crowds of up to around 10,000 in both Montreal and in Toronto. There were tens of actions all across the country with thousands coming out in Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Vancouver, Winnipeg, Halifax, Mississauga and elsewhere. Um, In places where there is always uh, good support uh, for Palestine like St. John's Newfoundland and uh, Victoria, uh, um, BC, the usual support was there, but it swelled with large numbers. And in places where there had not been actions, likely since the 2014 war on Gaza, or maybe never, actions sprung up Guelph, Milton, Oakville, Saskatoon, and, and so on. Today, after the announcement of a ceasefire, um, CBC, Al Jazeera, CTV, uh, Toronto blog, and, and many other media have reported on an action that saw red paint streaming from the Israeli consulate onto the street of Toronto to represent the blood of massacred innocent Palestinian civilians, the blood on Israel's hands, and a call to the Canadian government to end its complicity with Israel's war crimes. A few of you have been asking in the chat, and I know the link has already been provided, but um, over this coming weekend, there are actions planned for Charlottetown, Montreal, Toronto, St. John, New Brunswick, Surrey, Vernon, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, Kelowna, Ottawa, Powell River, Red Deer, Alberta, St. Catharines, and so on, and events later in the month for Victoria, London, and, and other places. So check out those events um, in uh, in the chat, it's a list that includes Canadian events as well as events from around the world and we thank our uh, um, our organization, um, Sami Dune, the organization Sami Dune for keeping this list current and up to date. So ECOS polls have over the past few years showed the majority, vast majority of Canadians support boycotts and sanctions to hold Israel accountable. And with this most recent blatant violence across historic Palestine, the Israeli bombardment and genocide of Gaza, the aggressive Judaism in Jerusalem, the evictions in Sheikh Jarrah and other East Jerusalem communities, the attack on the sacred Al-Aqsa compound, the rash of military extrajudicial killings that have been happening across the West Bank, And the police and state-sanctioned civilian violence against Palestinians in the 1948 territory has led people to be engaged uh, around the world, but engaged on the streets across Canada through direct actions, as well as direct demands to the Canadian government. The ceasefire is not a reason to start. It's a reason for us to continue to build on this work. I do just want to mention that over the last five years the Canadian BDS coalition has been providing quite focused campaigns through it's about 25 member groups from across the country, as well as the coalition as a whole. The founding meeting of the Canadian BDS coalition happened in April 2016 and the notes record the following the Canadian BDS coalition a good unequivocal name in answer to Trudeau's parliamentary motion in February 2016 condemning BDS and those who support it. I'm sure many of the people or most of the people uh, that are are listening will remember uh, Trudeau being elected in uh, late 2015 and uh, by February bringing in motion uh, 14 uh, condemning BDS and those who support it. And uh, the response in Canada amongst the groups from uh, St. John's, Newfoundland, right through to Victoria, BC, um, was that we would come together and uh, work in this way. Shortly after forming the coalition worked to create campaigns across the country and with strong international engagement, Um, One of the first uh, victories was uh, one that led Air Canada to end its contract with Israel Aerospace Industries. That's the main research development and um, an actual manufacturer of of, war, of the war machine in Israel and it, um, Air Canada was um, ended a contract, a five year contract in, uh, in two years based on, the, uh, on that campaign. More recent campaigns uh, with Quebec BDS, who also is a member of the Canadian coalition, was to have Hydro Quebec not renew a contract with Israel Electric. And um, a campaign in 2019 that uh, the Canadian BDS Coalition led that saw the Raptors not go to Israel after uh, it was indicated that they went by their owner uh, um, after their NBA victory. Um, 50 artists joined with the BDS Coalition uh, just before COVID to say no to playing Israeli apartheid to Salon Dion. And there have been numerous other campaigns um, against Puma, Teva, many other companies, a call for an HP free zone, and most recently uh, working with uh, one of the member organizations of the coalition uh, in London, Ontario this week, uh, a, a company has declared itself apartheid free. So I encourage you to check uh, the website bdscoalition.ca to learn more about campaigns currently underway. I'll highlight uh, just two very quickly. One is a current campaign uh, related to the Canada Pension uh, Plan Investment Board calling for divestment from the companies that it's invested in that are on the UN list as complicit with war crimes. Some people call that the black list as well as a Montreal based company WSP that uh, um, is engaged in the light rail in East Jerusalem. A brand new campaign this week is one that is a call to the Dean of the Schulich Business School at York University to end their doing business in Israel seminar, which entails sending Schulich students, I suppose after COVID or maybe virtually now to study in Israel for 10 days. There's a letter writing campaign over the last couple of days. I think we're up to close to 600 letters on that. So again, check out bdscoalition.ca or some of those are on our website at justpeaceadvocates.ca. Um, So in ending just peace advocate wants to remind you and remind that the Canadian government is a high signatory of the fourth Geneva Convention and therefore is accountable under Article one of the fourth Geneva Convention to ensure the Convention is upheld under all circumstances. This means that Canada is complicit with war crimes when it does not hold Israel accountable and when it does not stand with international humanitarian law. Beyond this, under Canadian domestic law, the, um, the Special Measures or Special Economic Measures Act calls on Canada to take actions, including sanctions, when countries systematically violate human rights. There is a current call from the Palestinian Human Rights Organization, Al-Haq, that is an organization that Jonathan Kattab founded in 1979, or co-founded in 1979. That campaign is hashtag time for sanctions, so time for sanctions. And the General Secretary of Al-Haq, Shalwan Jarbrun, highlighted yesterday the international community's lack of political will um, will, will to hold Israel to account is what has allowed Israel to commit crimes against the Palestinian people as a whole and that Israel's colonial apartheid regime established and maintained since the NAPCA of 1948 continues to deny the Palestinian people their, enab- enab- their uh, collective rights, including the right to self-determination and uh, right to return. So my parting message is this, That our role is to make it clear that Canada, as a middle power, needs to hold Israel accountable. And that means it is time for sanctions against Israeli war crimes.
0: You just heard a panel discussion on the innumerable ways Canada supports Israeli apartheid and what we can do about it. Featured on the panel were... Vive Angler, Jonathan Katab, and Karen Rodman. It was presented on May 22, 2021. It was a production of the Canadian Foreign Policy Institute. You've been tuned to the Global Research News Hour a show, funded by the Center for Research on Globalization, produced in collaboration with Campus Community Radio Station CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, on Occupied Anishinaabe Gaki, on the homeland of the Métis and the historical territory of the Héhawak and the Nakota. The show airs on other radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for streaming or download at the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback on our show, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Music for this week's broadcast is Shifting Sands by Purple Planet Music, accessible on the site purple-planet.com. I've been your host and producer, Michael Welch. Thank you once again for joining us.